You are listening. You are listening. You're listening to Do Not to Not Elsewhere. Not Elsewhere. Elsewhere. Elsewhere Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Not Elsewhere Classified podcast. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. And of course, check out our podcast at anchor.fm slash NEC podcast or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review as it helps our podcast out. We also want to thank our partners who help support the podcast. To check out a list of our partners, including the Haugen Consulting Group, RadRx, Project Resume, and more, go to medicalcodinggeek.com slash partners. In the last podcast episode, I don't think I thanked the AAPC chapters who invited me to speak at their virtual meetings. So I do want to thank Erie, Pennsylvania, Concord, North Carolina, Orlando, Florida, and Cherry Hill, New Jersey. So if you need a speaker for your upcoming virtual event, feel free to contact me. I'm more than willing to do a virtual session nowadays <laughs> since we can't do in-person meetings. Next up on my schedule will be July for the Florida Health Information Management Association Conference. Unfortunately, that has been switched to virtual. So if you're still attending, I will be the closing keynote speaker. I'm happy to announce that my topic on podcasting being used as a a tool for effective communication was accepted by the AHIMA, American Health Information Management Association, for their conference coming up in October in Atlanta. So I'm hoping everything goes very smooth in terms of the coronavirus and we're able to finally have an in-person conference. Also, I wanted to share some good news. Our podcast is now streaming on iHeartRadio, which, by the way, is the number one platform for podcasting. So if you go to your iHeartRadio app, please check out Not Elsewhere Classified Podcast and take a listen to our episodes. Today on the podcast, we have Sonal Patel. We talk about her experience transitioning from from the museum industry to the medical coding industry and moving into compliance. We talk about her experience in trying to get her first job and then moving on into more compliance roles. So without further ado, here is my episode with Sonal Patel. Enjoy. Welcome to the Not Elsewhere Classified podcast. Today, uh, we are recording via Zoom since everybody is doing Zoom. So we're just going to do the voice format uh, on the podcast today. I have Sanal Patel. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing well, Brian. Thank you so much. All right. So uh, the way we connected, we just discussed this earlier. We have no high, have no idea how we truly connected, but I think we connected through LinkedIn. And a lot of the stuff that at least I have seen, at least I have observed, is in regards to 
compliance, and you'll talk about that today. So you post a lot in terms of fraud and abuse, OIG compliance, and I know I've had a, a previous guest who talked about compliance, but definitely, especially in in today's uh, setting, we could talk about compliance. We could definitely talk about uh, COVID nineteen and compliance, all of that if you're if you're able. Because I know there's a lot of, at least for me, there's a lot of questions on that. Because I just listened, by the way, to a podcast, um, Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> Out of all people who you was talking to Elon Musk, and uh, guess what they talked about? They talked about the billing. <laughs> Out of, uh, yeah, and I'll, we'll, I'll, I'll get into that in a second. So and in my head, mm-hmm. um, you could talk about the, the act that was implemented in regards to the payments. They were talking about this and that, but I think their biggest concern was... Uh, the idea that if they, if they, if they had COVID or not, uh, it will get put into the bill regardless, uh, and or it has to do with death. Even if they didn't die from COVID, if they had COVID, but mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense. But in my head, I'm like, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of missing information, especially when you're talking about coding, coding assignments, coding guidelines. I'm like, you know, just just <laughs> let them talk about it. All right. So, again, I'm going on a tangent. But, uh, again, it's good to have you on. Uh, and you reached out to me to do this podcast. And I'm always looking for guests. So, for anybody that's listening, again, if you want to be part of the podcast, hey, it's a fun conversation. Everybody that that does this podcast it's to me it's like it's like therapy like if you want to release anything out or or there's something on your mind uh i feel speaking is the best way of doing it writing is a great way because i always have conversations with colleagues who love to write i'm like you know what if you're writing i think you should also do a podcast or at least record yourself in regards to your thoughts on what you wrote because i think it's much more meaningful when you talk about it talk about your work and that way it's it's packaged perfectly uh, when you promote it out there. So, oh, there's an article that I did, and this, these are my thoughts on it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So then a definite marketing loop, and uh, you, see, you see where I'm going here. All right. So, again, uh, thank you. That's how we connected on LinkedIn. Uh, you reached out to me, and you're like, hey, let's do a podcast. I'm like, great. Let's do it. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, and before I even get to that, uh, before we before we even scheduled this uh, podcast episode there was you posted something in regards to uh an aapc article called what is it called minute with a member Minute with a member yes and you'll talk about this but one thing that i saw was that you used to work in the museum industry and that kind of contri- uh, intrigued my uh interest uh to see how did you transition from that industry to coding? Because a lot of people that I've talked to or people that have been previous guests, they had a unique origin. Uh, for me, coding was never my my passion, but somehow I got here. Uh, but it's interesting to see where you came from. Well, I want to hear where you're, how you got from where you're at to where you're from. And that leads to our first question is, uh, where did you come from? Uh, and how did you get to where you're at today? Great question, Brian. Wow. Um, so yeah, basically, uh, my path has been a different one. It's been a unique one. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, since the age of three. Um, and basically, I fell in love with artwork and paintings and things like that when I was in high school. Um, so I really thought I had found my calling very early in life. And I had dedicated my entire high school, college, graduate school 
to the study of art. And, um, you know, I uh, gained opportunities in the museum world, working with collections and curators. And that's really where I fell in love with the whole writing process. I love to write. I love to conduct research. And I really think, um, you know, when the economy tanked, I wrote about that in that article. You know, I had been working a number of years at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., and then I had moved up to Boston. I had worked up there for some time. But, you know, life has an uncanny way of just throwing you curveballs when you least expect them. Um, and I was dealt curveballs, and I had decided at that point uh, I had to transition. I had to really do some soul searching. You know, how can I take care of myself? Uh, this is not going to do it for me. So I really thought, you know what? Healthcare is in my blood. You know, my father is a physician. Mm, interesting. You know, so I thought I can do this. I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm not going to go back to school and become a nurse or a physician. No. What can I do to stay within the economy uh, and take care of myself? So I decided to go to school for a coding certificate program. And I really, you know, didn't have a lot of science background. So I really wanted to take an entire year. I know there are programs available that you can do these things in like six months, three months. I knew I wanted to really dig deeper and understand everything in healthcare. Um, so I spent one year, did very, very well. At that point, however, just like all new coders, even today in 2020, it's incredibly hard to find employment with that certificate. Even though you got a 4.0 at that school, doesn't matter. So it was really, really hard. Um, you had to pound the pavement. It's what I did. I thought, uh, you know, I could just get any job at the hospital in Houston there are, you know, so many at the medical center. That's where I had lived at the time. And I thought, oh, yes, no problem. This is going to happen. It doesn't happen that way. Um, it was incredibly difficult. I had to, again, rethink my approach after, you know, application after application. I started where I needed to be at a billing company, one of the best billing companies in Houston. They have incredible incredible physician relationship uh, where they have privileges at, you know, all the big hospitals at the medical center. The woman there took a chance on me. She really did. So she gave me a start there and I started at the bottom, started at the bottom. They had huge AR on, you know, so many accounts there that the other employees ha have been working on over the years. And she put me in that role. She's like, you can collect this, you know, AR that's just sitting there. You're going to learn a lot of skills. You're going to pick up the phone, talk to insurance companies. You're going to understand um, what the procedures are, what all of the elements are, why these things are unpaid. So I had started there um, and I really did very well. Um, for all of the individual coders that were there. And I was able to, you know, craft appeal letters. Again, that's where my skills in writing came in. So I could craft these winning appeal letters and you know, gain all of these old reimbursements, um, you know, back to these providers. So that's where I really knew that I had, I had made the right choice for myself, you know, and so I had stayed with that, 
um, company for a number of years, um, just climbing the ropes. They had demanded that, you know, you're qualified now to sit for an exam. So she wanted me to become a coder. And so, you know, she had stated you can sit for Practice Management Institute, PMI, their CMC credential. And so that was a rigorous exam. What's the CMC, by the way? Uh, certified Medical Coder through Practice Management Institute. Um, so, you know, that was rigorous, amazing, past that. And that's where uh, my boss gave me all of these individual specialty physician clients. Um, and I was their primary source of communication. I would talk to these doctors all the time about their super bills, about their documentation, and I would be the one to code everything. So it was lovely that, you know, you had that type of control that you could send out the coding correctly the first time. That was my goal. I learned that right away, that I have to uh, be able to code things, you know, efficiently, quickly, but also correctly so I don't have to clean it up again in, you know, two to four weeks. So that was a great, great opportunity. And from there, I had realized I, you know, have not actually worked at the hospitals at the medical center in Houston. And that was just, you know, they're just calling to you, you know, they're just right there in your reach. And so I started applying, 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 and uh, I finally got my big break at MD Anderson. And so I jumped on that and I said, absolutely. And in that role, again, I was hired um, at a very transitional critical point at that institution. They were going through a lot of changes also um, with their president. They were implementing ethic, EMR system. It was just a huge time, again, of transition for me and learning these new systems, et cetera. But I, I was hired on, again, as a senior coding specialist to clean up all of this old revenue that they could not capture, just clean things up. So I happily had worked with their patient, what was it called, their patient finance department, something. Mm -hmm but I was one of two of their senior coders to perform that role. So not actual coding of charts, but helping provide correct coding on the back end. So the other departments would then resubmit claims and then the revenue would come back in. So yeah, that was an amazing, life-changing experience. All the doctors you got to speak with and just communicate with all the time. It was incredible. Loved it. Now, I do have a question, though. So when you going back to your your museum days, right? So when I think of somebody who works in the museum, I'm thinking Indiana Jones. I'm thinking, what's the other movie with the Ben Stiller? Oh, yeah. What is that movie? Oh, what is that? <laughs> I forgot. Uh, the Night, Night at the, the museum. museum. There you go. Yeah. That's it. So that's what I think. Um, so what exactly did you do when you worked at like the Smithsonian? Like, well, I remember the Smithsonian when I was in high school. In Washington D.C., that's that's a big place. That's a huge museum. Um, I remember going there. So, what exactly did you okay. do? Like, what skills did you picked up? What was your role? Because when I think of somebody who works in the museum, I'm thinking: Do you just hang paintings? Do you cure? Do you you get the paintings or get art no. and you just place? I this, wish. Like, kind of like no. what 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 does that involve? I wish I could have <laughs> something. No, no, no. <laughs> um, that's a great question. So the Smithsonian yeah. Institution is gigantic. 
So no, I did not work at the Air and Space Museum. No, no, I did not okay, work yes. at the That's National yeah. uh, History Museum. No. So there's a specific museum called the Freer and Sackler Gallery, which is a Smithsonian Institute museum. Um, and it specializes in uh, South Asian art and artifacts. So the art of India, the art of China, Japan, Vietnam. Um, so that was my specialty. So no, I did not hang and no, I didn't hang anything. <laughs> That's my perception. <laughs> I wish. No, uh, there, there are roles like that, but that was not mine. So basically, right. um, what I had done while I was there, I worked under the associate curator. So there's the curator, who's the woman at large in charge. Then there's the associate curator. She was my boss. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, mm-hmm. you know, writing up, you know, those labels when you go into the museum. Yeah. Those wonderful labels okay. that teach you what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's what I had to write. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you were the educa- you're the educational component of the right. art. Right. So like if I like exactly. Yeah, so if I walk through the museum, I'm looking, you know, at the the glass uh, display and the little pieces of information yeah. and I would like, "Oh, that's where it came from." So you that's did that. That's right. Oh, that's right. So while I was there, I helped do all of those types of things and research for, you know, potential exhibits that you know, we wanted to bring, um, showcase mm-hmm. new contemporary artists. That was also still is a passion that I have showcasing, you know, um, contemporary South Asian art to make it more, you know, known. Now going before the museum, the, the museum, uh, I guess, experience, were you ever into, uh, doing paintings, like creating your own art or anything like that? Yes. Yes. So I did that for high school. Yes, I loved painting Mm -hmm. um, and pastel work Mm -hmm. and ceramics. But no, I did not. I'm not known. I'm a nobody. No, I just like (laughs) to do it. I just like to do it. No, that's right. Yeah. All right, cool. So that's the idea, I guess, because my question would then be because you mentioned uh, when you got into the building, you got the first chance. Well, that's my question next is, how did you get that first chance? How, how did you get noticed? Because, because again, a lot of coders in the industry are, are just starting. Um, and you mentioned you got your first chance in, the, in a billing company cleaning up AR. How did you get that opportunity? Or what things did you do to get noticed to get that first chance? I had applied and applied and applied my little heart out <laughs> to Memorial Hermann to um, Baylor, uh, to every hospital. My, uh, my thoughts at the beginning were so big. I just wanted to enter the hospital scene immediately. I don't know what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had high hopes. And without realizing that I had no experience in science, in healthcare, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. So my resume would read as an art historian. Yeah, And as a new transitional professional back in the old days, to me, it just seems like forever ago, I really just tried, didn't realize that my resume was, you know, for the humanities, for the liberal arts. It was not for the sciences. Mm-hmm. And it took me just a long time to realize that I had to just really step down. Like I really, not, not step down in a bad way, step down in a way that, would allow me to get my foot in the door to gain that experience mm-hmm. somewhere, anywhere, 
you know, and I was no longer in Cleveland, Ohio. Like I couldn't just go say, hey, dad, I need a job. Can you, you know, help me? Um, no, I was a grown woman, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, established. So no, and I was living in a different state. And so, no, I wanted to do this independently on my own. I didn't ask for help. So basically, I just applied and applied everywhere. And I came upon this billing company whose name I'm not going to share here, but I found them online and I had applied and applied and I just pestered calling, calling, calling. And finally, you know, I'm still friends with the woman who is there. She's incredible. Um, And she gave me that chance. And I had walked into that interview, nailed it. She was like, I have to start you at the bottom. And I didn't care. I was like, absolutely, start me at the bottom, rightly so. And um, yeah, it was incredible. So it was just a lot of elbow grease. Yeah. And um, you just have to start by, you might not start in coding, but you will start in a doctor's office. You can work at the front office. You can be a receptionist. You can talk to patients. You could be a patient greeter. Now that I know about MD Anderson, in hospitals, you could apply as a patient greeter. That's such an important job mm-hmm. um, to just welcome the patients in. If it's a department greeter or if it's just the main hospital greeter, there's all sorts of ways to enter the healthcare, you know, workforce. And from there, you establish relationships with people in different departments where you can, you know, put a little bug in their ear like, hey, she's really good at coding. Like she has her she has her certificate she she can do this if you give her a chance yeah i like that um i guess when you when you got that first job uh and and because i i mentor a lot of of um students or graduates and and one of the the main things that i i sense from them or at least when i look in the facebook groups when they ask you know can can i get a where can i find a job that's remote we can you know that idea but I guess what I'm trying to say is when when graduates come out of school, their their vision is a bit narrowed, right? They they're honed in like this. If this yeah. is my if, if this is my goal, that's where I'm gonna be. But yeah. um, I, I try to teach them to look wider, look yeah. look out. Like if this is your vision, then you have to kind of like look out beyond what your vision looks like mm-hmm. to see what opportunities that you that you can qualify for. Right. right. And you mentioned a couple of positions. Those are great positions, even though they're not coding. I, and I, I tell them, like, you don't have to be a coder. You could be something else. Uh, you could be in the building area. You could be in the front desk, whatever it may be. And I think the goal is when you're in that role is not to um, I mean, you're not coding, you're not doing any building, but the real job is just doing your job. And the number two, getting noticed. And the number three is the observation. You have to observe what right. your what the organization is made up of and mm-hmm. and the workflows. Once you understand the workflows and then you can understand where coding fits in. And that's where you can kind of really kind of move your way into understanding, I guess, having a more of a holistic view of how everything works. Uh, for me, my role was radiology file clerk when I used to do the file films. Oh, my gosh. How do you figure out how to do coding from all of that? And, and I try to do my best. In understanding, you know, because I had a bachelor's in HIM, how does that work into films? How does it work into medical records? How does it get into billing? How do how do radiologists get paid? How do they code? And so all of these questions that come into mind help me develop that that sense of 
the holistic sense of where do I fit in this puzzle and how do I get to where I'm at? So uh, definitely a great uh, story in how you got your first job. Now, going to the appeal. So in your first role, you got you cleaned up the AR then you went to another company and I guess a, a hospital. Right. And then you got into the idea of, well, no, in the first company, I'm sorry, you got into the appeal letters. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you leverage your research in in terms of obtaining information on Southeastern Asian art. <laughs> so can you describe to me that first appeal letter? Like when you were given that opportunity to write that first letter, how did you draw on from your research of, <laughs> of taking you know information of Southeastern art and then applying it and trying to appeal for for uh, reimbursement uh, for an institution or a physician? Another great question. Um, I think the analytical skills of research in anything, um, I just think I, I, I have a good eye for, you know, reading the medical record to try and support what was missed the first time. You know, like the insurance companies, as we know, aren't going to pay for this, that, or the other. But I have the skills to research Aetna's, you know, medical review policy that clearly states, you know, A, B, and C diagnoses, they're met, they're right here in the record. And I can just highlight it by, you know, literally just stating what diagnosis one, two, and three are, um, and with the support of Aetna's policy and say, well, it's right here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's just something that I had absolutely correct from research in the art world and art literature um i think i was able to look very closely at the medical documentation that does support the service whatever the cpt code or hicks fix code is Mm -hmm. it's supported and you just have to be able to write in such a way that the insurance company sees it all laid out crystal clear that this should be paid. Let's take a moment for a quick break. And now back to our show. There's a great parallel in, um, well, the key phrase that I, I wanted to pop out was critical thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one thing that I can draw on from your experience in research. One thing that you can understand in terms of research is that you have to find the information, read the information in greater detail, understand the information, and then apply the information, right? So, but then your next level in terms of writing letters is is understanding what went wrong, right? And then applying the policy, finding the policy, reading the policy, understanding the policy, then going to the medical record, finding where that problem was, or kind of like refining the evidence that would uh, support your appeal letter, right? I think that's the idea. And and that requires a lot of critical thinking skills. So one of the the things that I can share with the new graduates or anybody that's trying to get into where you're at, I mean, can you... Could you imagine doing that remote? It's it's not easy, or or you have to be in person to do it because you have to you show that you're doing all of these multitasking, in terms of the policy, the medical record, the letter. The letter is important too because I do a lot of, I do the other side. I do the denial letters. 
So we're, we're both we're both on a different uh, side of the spectrum. So when I do the denial letters, one of the biggest things you have to be very careful is how you write it, right? In terms mm-hmm. of the grammar, the wording, the rationale, everything. So in yeah. terms of the appeal letter, you also have to do the same thing. Make sure you have the right information, right rationale in terms of your appeal letter. Because as you mentioned, you don't want to m- make the mistakes with those letters because they're That's going right. out. And That's right. and if you mess up on any of those letters, those can get sent back. And then either you know one side could win, the other side can lose, whatever it may be. And all of that work that you did considering that all of the research, all of the multitasking, just mm-hmm. kind of like because of maybe just one piece of information. That's why coding is very important in terms of accuracy and detail. And you have to stay focused. So mm-hmm. much information, so much stuff to, to consider. That's why it's, to me, it's like, that, you know, you have to stay up with everything. You know, especially when you're at home, people say, I want to work from home. Well, good luck trying to stay focused at home. Because I've done a lot of, um, I, I did a previous podcast, of course, with my kids. And then another one with Jeff White talking about uh, our remote experience and how we get distracted, whatever it may be. Could you imagine mm-hmm. doing your role at home and with kids and everybody? It, it's just going to be, it's just overwhelming. And, I, and in order for you to get that land, that remote role, you have to stay focused. It's not just like, okay, well, yeah. here, here's the job you can do. It. It's not like, you know, something that you can be given. You have to, uh, especially for remote work. The reason why I'm talking about this a lot, because I've seen just, just recently, you know, in, in the Facebook groups, just people asking, where can I find a remote job, you know, coming out of school? I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I never leave, I never respond to it because I know mm-hmm. in my head is going to, the, my response will, it's, it's, it's a response that the, the, the one receiving it will not like. And right. I tend to give the tough love. When tough I love send, is best though. Yeah. But I kind of like best. hold back. like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep swiping up and just continue yeah. on with I'm my day. Ignore, right? <laughs> Not going to engage. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about what happened after is it the hospital, MD Anderson, right? Where did you progress from there? Like you 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 became a senior coder. Uh, again, your focus is on the building side, right? So you're focusing on the AR, getting it down, and then how did you get to How did I get to a law firm? Yeah. <laughs> So you went from a QA specialist. That's so that's the step higher. Oh, McKesson. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we could talk about you could talk about that from a QA specialist. So usually when I see coders, right, uh, from your role as a senior coding, then they go into quality. Then they go to me like from quality or a QA. You can go either into management. You can go any which way because that to me, once you reach the QA role, that's kind of like the epitome of the hierarchy of coding. Uh, and then the doors open from there. So from your from your position in MD Anderson, you moved into a QA role. What did that involve? Okay, so first, let's back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So again, life threw a little curveball after MD Anderson, so Texas. I was basically living in Texas for almost a decade. Wow. Um, but you know, family is still in Cleveland and I needed to move closer to home. You know, parents get older, time for me to come a little closer to home. So that's where this McKesson job came in. I had, was interviewing all over Chicago from Texas. It was crazy. I was, inter- I was flying back and forth, 
job offers left and right. That was your primary purpose to move, right? You wanted to primary move from, from Houston to, to Ohio. Right, right. But I also had, I have a son, and so I needed him to graduate elementary school. <laughs> I couldn't just uproot him in the middle of Correct. the year. Mm-hmm. So I had to turn down all those jobs in Chicago. I had to say, no, nope, I got to stay, you know, for a little bit longer. Anyway, so this McKesson opportunity came along, and it was remote. It was a remote opportunity to be, um, you know, doing QA on coders remotely. It was um, a bit difficult for me. And to be honest, I didn't really care for it. It was me auditing coders. That's what that job was. And so I didn't stay at that role for very long, but at the same time, I was plucked by my colleague that I still work with to this day, fabulous attorney. She found me on LinkedIn all those years ago. Mm. And she had basically offered me, you know, we need a consultant coder person. Um, And so, you know, I was juggling doing part-time at a law firm, tons of work, and part-time at McKesson. I had to make a choice. I was being, you know, torn in too many places. I was like, how can I do this? How can I do this? So again, I had to make a a critical decision for myself and what do I think is going to be a better fit for me moving forward. And, and I made that choice. And you moved into the, the law firm as a as an expert coding and compliant consultant. So what did exactly did that involve? Okay, so basically I was a external consultant for them. So even though I was technically employed by them, mm-hmm. they wanted to use me externally for whatever purposes. But so the same thing. So lots of education on the back end. So it's a law firm. Providers are picking up the phone and calling a law firm because they're in trouble. They got some piece of mail. Doesn't look good, right? So then they would need me to ask for the medical records, review them, help the attorneys appeal, things like that. So all very similar to... Things I've already done, mm-hmm. um, but I would develop strategies then for the attorneys because they're in charge of these clients and trying to help, you know, reduce the damages that may be done. So the same role, like you're doing your, your, the, the idea of the letters, the research, everything is coming into just a different industry. Uh, you're working in a law firm. Uh, mm-hmm. So now you're, mo- you, did you move up to Ohio at that point, or you're still in Houston? No, no, I'm still remote. Right. So I'm still outside of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And right, I was working remotely for this law firm in Ohio. Mm -hmm. But now I work for a law firm in the Carolinas. Oh, wow. They are located in North and South Carolina. Oh, so again, a remote (laughs) role. (laughs) <laughs> so th- yeah. they didn't they didn't ask you to to come on in did you the, the like in terms of depositions and i know they they need depositions on site sometimes or was it done remote yeah so when that time comes of course yeah i can fly anywhere right and they took care of that for you <laughs> of course. Yeah. yeah i can fly anywhere and do whatever yeah Perfect. Wonderful. And and when now we're allowed to fly again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, could you imagine now you can't do it? And then I can't go anywhere now. No, I've no. seen um, 
I've seen, especially in in the in the courts, or at least for the depositions, they they do it in the camera. And I I heard of one that where the judge got really mad at the I don't know, either one of the lawyers because they wasn't they weren't dressed appropriately. They just appropriately. woke up. <laughs> they they woke up. I mean, it's it's the same rule applies. I mean, where where if, if it's a virtual court, you have to you know do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, you still have to put a suit on. Yes. Yep. And so they yeah. they ordered. I guess I don't know if it was a contempt of court or they, the judge was just not having it and and ordered the the attorney to wear an appropriate attire. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> could, you, <laughs> could you imagine that? Um, so from the from the law firm. So this is just very temporary roles, remote roles. How did you get into your current role now? I you know try and I don't know. I just try and keep happy providers. Like I just try and really um, help them. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that they're in trouble. This is the back end, so they're getting a Z pick or a rec audit, you know, they're in trouble, they don't know what to do. Um, And so that's what I love doing is helping by uh, providing that educational piece, that this is why there are so many errors, you know, that you got the letter because of the quantity of the volume of mistakes Mm -hmm. that have been made. That's what triggered. um, And it can be from Medicare, it can be from a commercial payer, it's just called SIU auditor on the commercial end, but it's the same thing. You're being looked at because of the volume of your mistakes, or if you're like the way they look at it by like a data trend point, if you're the only provider who's billing, you know, let's say such high ENMs for your specialty, you're red flagged, right? Like if all of your peers don't bill that way, um, but you do, uh, they want to know with more certainty why you're doing it. So you'll get that piece of paper yeah. anyway. So that's, that's what I do. I try and help um, providers clean up their billing, clean up their documentation so they can fly safely under the radar. That's what I like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, cause, Cause I, my specialty is in clinical documentation integrity and a lot of the CDI professionals, well, at least when I first started, it, it was more like, you know, you're, you're working for the hospital side, you're working for the hospital. You were trying to, um, you're trying to improve the documentation with the end goal of mine of, of, of benefiting the hospital, not so much the physician. And mm-hmm. and I think there's been a paradigm shift in terms of of the the end goal of the physician. Are we you know because we always talk about queries, queries. You're always sending out queries, but mm-hmm. uh, the queries being at a high rate, it's it's not a good thing because the when you're thinking about a query, uh, you're thinking about okay, the the physicians receiving the query, they read the query, they answer the query, but are they learning from the query? Are they, if they receive this, or they, if they have a similar case, are they going to apply what they've uh, encountered in the previous query and answer the same way or document the same way? And and through the years, I've seen, at least now in my current role, uh, that <laughs> it's not happening. And the real, the real answer is through physician education. Now, the first thing that I've seen in terms of interaction of coders with physicians is more like a de- defensive you know, stance, you know, mm-hmm. the coders holding their arms crossed, the physicians holding their arms crossed. And I think mm-hmm. it takes a special professional. And, and, and through your years, you probably have developed a lot of physician relationships. That's the big thing. In, in, in changing the, the idea that we're not here to, 
work against you. We're here to work with you. And I think more, more, most importantly, uh, we as coding professionals, whatever it may be, HIM, CDI, building, coding, we're here to assist you. Uh, mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned, the, in your role in helping physicians, especially when they they make the mistake, but they never realize that they made the mistake and the, the mistakes keep on piling on. Keep on piling yeah. up, yeah. And, yeah. and they don't realize it. Why? Because they have not been educated. It's not their fault because they only understand the the idea of treating patients, medicine, everything. They're not so much on the back end, the business end, and there's nobody who would be willing to take the time. And even so, physicians don't have the time. Or I guess in terms of professionals presenting in such a way that they can understand over time, you know, giving the the opportunity bit by bit. It doesn't happen overnight. It's something that happens over a long period of time that you have to stay face with the physician. And I think most importantly, develop that relationship that they come back to you uh, so that way you can receive that education and give them nuggets of information over time. This is why I think like a lot of I keep on telling people create podcasts because even if it even though it doesn't have to be like an hour long, maybe it could be like a 10, 15 minute type of podcast. There are podcasts out there that do the do the same thing. But, you know, it's nice to hear from different uh, voices and opinions and experiences. So that way they can give that that nugget information. Hey, doc. Uh, I do a podcast, by the way, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of the stuff that you're dealing with, I have talked about it already. And guess what? Here's my portfolio. You know, it's this is the new business card. To me, podcasting is the new business card. Uh, if you're not creating content, you're not going to get noticed. Uh, but you, so this goes to my next question, though, or moving in from your your consultant era, you do a lot on LinkedIn <laughs> every day. I. I get yeah. my phone and I'm, I'm swiping up. I'm like, there she is. She's she's posting something. Why it comes to my question is why is it important that you have to, that you post a lot of content on LinkedIn? Maybe for those that are just starting out on maybe they had they just created their own profile. Uh, why is it important for them to to share their content, to share their knowledge on LinkedIn? Yeah, I mean, I think it's such an important way for you to um, develop your credibility. If you're new, if you don't have a lot to say, that's okay. But you will gain experience in time. And that's what I do this for. I want to share um, with, you know, not everybody is going to be my friend or my connection on LinkedIn. But those that are, are because we're part of the greater healthcare community. We're a part of the coding industry. We're a part of the HIM community. Um, and so I, my goal when I post every day something is to share, you know, news that I find to be critical and important enough that I want to share and give my little two cents mm-hmm. on what I, you know, deciphered from it. Or I want to go ahead and share my own original content that might help somebody, some sort of a coding tip, some sort of compliance, you know, nugget takeaway that we should be mindful of and try and help our physicians. That's what we're here to do is to help them, you know, in the business of medicine, just try and help them understand that we're here just to help, not to criticize, not to but tell them what to do in terms of, you know, diagnoses or whatever. That I no, that's not my job. I love that that's what their space is. 
that's what they do best. And I love that they provide great patient care. And so I think that the successes that I've had in terms of keeping my physicians happy is because I can talk to them in that way. They might be abrasive in the beginning on day one because they don't know me. But the minute they start to get to know me by day five, they're like, okay, she's she's on my team. She's not working against me. She's trying to help me. And once they swallow that, it's a win-win. And it's just about how to communicate with them because they're amazing people, but they, in the beginning, they don't understand what you're trying to do. And you're right. I understood what you said earlier that, you know, they might be defensive when the coder is coming in to educate them, um, you know, in a hospital setting, in office setting, however. But once you learn how to speak to them and hopefully they'll listen to you, you know, and take that advice so they can cut back on those errors and start to, you know, operate in the green. Mm -hmm. That's where we like to be. Yeah. There's one, there was one doctor, um, before I transitioned into, um, the auditing, an auditing role remote, there was one physician that I really connected with were actually Facebook friends because of, because of it. Um, but the best way I, you, you know, you talk about the breaking the ice with the physician, the way, the best way I can describe, at least with this physician is trying to jump on a moving train. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're gonna ju- you're gonna run, you're gonna jump, you may fall down, but this train this train is going because he has yeah. to go see patients, he has to do office hours. You gotta run with that train and keep jumping till you get on. Or at least, you know, he, 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 the doctor would extend their hand like, hey, come on in, come in with me and join this ride. Uh, that happened over like maybe a few months uh, with this physician. And, and you know, he would talk to me. I would, you know, you, you want to connect first and then get to business next, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, because you have to establish that connection in order for them, for in order for you as uh, the, the the coding professional, the CDA, whatever it may be, uh, to meet your objective. Like, hey, this is this is the reason why I'm I'm pestering you, or this is the reason why I'm trying to connect with you is because I have to teach you something. I have to notify you of something. So this is not just a one time thing, one off where you see me and you never see me again. Uh, you're gonna see me again. So every every quarry I placed, I made sure to go see him because I, you you have to establish that connection. And a lot of, and you talk about remote, and you know a lot of things in terms of remote that I don't like is that is the at least when I transition from a hospital to here is the the interpersonal connection, the the face to face, right? And and this is the reason why we're doing this Zoom. Uh, because I love it. I, can yeah. see it. Yeah. <laughs> I know, so we can actually know what we're saying, and yeah, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, because before, and I mentioned this earlier, is when I used to start the podcast, I did it over the phone, and and I was staring at a blank screen, or I, and sometimes I would just, you know, just kind of do not, and it's really kind of depressing over a couple, you know, episodes. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until uh, I think it was when I went to Gainesville and I spoke for like an hour and 45 minutes. Then I did a podcast episode and I sat down and relaxed and and had a good conversation. And and, and, and I'm figuring like, how can I, you know, and I was very gung ho and doing it in person. Like, I got to go to this area mm-hmm. this way. And then Corona came and then Zoom came. I'm like, wait a second. 
I could do this over over video. And even though, you know, I'm not going to use the video here, you know, at least I can see the person now. You know, I can see when you finish your sentence, when you're done, you know, and we can move on to the next thing. Uh, so that's that's the idea of creating that interpersonal connection. I think that's most important, especially uh, as a coder, which goes back to, I, I mean, you know, you could do remote all you want. But, you know, if you're going to, which my point is, is if you're going to evolve, I guess the, the what the now is in terms of what is needed as a coding professional is establishing connections, interpersonal connections, maybe mm-hmm. over personal Zoom. But I think Zoom is going to be after all of this. Zoom is going to be or Zoom whatever, just just web, just web conferencing yeah. period. Can you talking about telemedicine, everything? This is the newest thing. So even in 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 networking. This is going to be the newest thing. This is going to be I moving agree. forward. I, I feel it. And now I can do podcast episodes. Uh, maybe I can still do it in person. It's, it's nice to do it in person because I always like to shake the hand, give them a hug, hopefully when Corona's over. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> you know, and like, who wouldn't want to come to Florida? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Hey, anytime you're you're by Disney, hopefully when That's it opens. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'll see you next time I'm in Florida. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, you know, I was hoping when – Oh gosh, what was it? Healthcon. Healthcon was I literally was six miles away. Six miles away from the from the Coronado Springs. And so uh mm-hmm. I was ready to do podcast episodes, record everybody, hug everybody, handshake everybody, and then all of this hit and oh my gosh, you know, it's like I can't do that. I was really depressed. I'm like, how can I do this better? And so Zoom 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 kinda pull through with this one so <laughs> you know Zoom did. it's true yeah again thank you so now for being part of the podcast i always ask two questions at the end of this podcast the first question is you know we're in the corona phase but after the corona is done with hopefully i'm hoping by next year I, that's my forecast hopefully by next year it'll kind of dwindle down i'm, I'm gonna be wearing face masks doesn't matter i don't care I, i'm just gonna wear it so hopefully when all of this dies down and you're able to kind of move on with your career and personal life whatever it may be what does your future hold what, what are your plans that's a big one. Take your time. What are my plans? Wow. You know, yeah, I really, let's start with, I really thought 2020 would be this amazing, incredible year, but whew, we got slapped in the face, didn't we? Yeah. All of us in the world. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in my future, I really, I really like um, the things I do. I really like this profession. I'm not planning on pivoting out of uh, healthcare. Um, I really enjoy what I do. I feel what I do is very valuable. I contribute. Good thing. But in terms of my self-growth, I mean, yeah, I have to keep that up. I have to keep learning. Um, I have to keep educating myself. Healthcare is always changing. There's always something new going on. Let's not forget 2021 is around the corner and, you know, I'll have to learn an entire new manual again. Mm-hmm. One, two, and three, right? Hix, fix, ICD-10, everything again and again. So it's just endless amount of learning and I want to give back more. So the more I can contribute in terms of speaking engagements, I can start doing that. I can. Oh, I That's know. what I miss too. <laughs> I miss that podcast. How do I start that? <laughs> I'll help you. I'll help you with that. You that, can help me with yeah, that. Yeah. Try. You know, so things like that. I would like to be more present in terms of not just the millions of articles that I keep writing, I think I could give back in terms of, um, you know, things on Zoom 
more webinars, attending conferences left and right. Mm -hmm. I could do things like that yeah. in my future. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's, we we align very very similar with with that. Like my my goal, at least you know, this has kind of this podcast has kind of evolved. Not so much. I mean, really, the 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 goal of the podcast was for me to connect with people like yourself and just just have a conversation, have a conversation. Uh, create create a, a portfolio. If there's somebody that that aligns with what you do or whoever does, hey, look, mm -hmm. I did it. I I already spoke to this person. I had the same energy in talking with this person so you might as well <laughs> listen to that right. energy because i'm not going to repeat myself I, I just don't somebody came to me and asked me about exam uh tips and i was like well i just did a full hour about it well can you tell me about it again i'm like well, I, I don't have the same energy as before <laughs> well you could do it i'm like okay i'll give you the bridge version no problem i could do that for you but yeah the one thing i miss is especially now is, you know, I've been invited to so many virtual meetings. I, I love the virtual meetings, the APC meetings, but there's nothing like, you know, seeing people, their reactions, because, you know, normally when I do the, these Zoom meetings, you know, with a bigger crowd, you don't see the reactions. And I, I <laughs> when I do my, my, my presentations, I run off of feedback. Uh, same way comedians do, uh, they they garner their energy based upon the feedback of the audience. I do the same thing. I look at the audience and say, well, are you into this? Is there something that you need to do to wake you up, to, mm -hmm. to, to make you laugh or, or something? You know, those are the things that I miss when I, when I see people uh, in the audience. So hopefully that'll clear through. All right, so let's go to the last question is, what best words of advice could you give to our audience? Oh, wow. Best words for the audience. Oh, wow. Okay, absolutely. So I know you mentor a lot of new coders, apprentice coders. Absolutely. So words of advice, you have to really believe in yourself. Like you really have to know what you can do. Every skill that you possess that you can, you know, put forth. I think that's the most integral thing that we have is no one can do that for you. you you're the only person who can believe in you and what you have to offer and give and you know share with everybody well there you have it that is my episode with sonal patel so for a change of pace i'm actually going to answer an email that was sent to me by tracy of course, if you want to send me an email or reach out to me, you could check me out on LinkedIn. You could also send me an email at bcui at medicalcodinggeek.com. You could also message me on Facebook on the Medical Coding Geek Facebook page, the Not Also Classified Facebook page, the Medical Coding Geek Instagram page, and also the Not Also Classified Instagram page. So here's what Tracy sent to me. Today, I'm reaching out to you for your guidance and your expertise in the health information management field. Your NEC podcast episodes and speakers have been so motivating and inspiring. I graduated in 2008 with my associate's degree in HIT. I did not get my first job in the field until four years later when I was laid off from my job of 12 years. I am now a non-certified outpatient coder now for the last eight years. Unfortunately, I never wanted to code like myself. <laughs> I could feel you there. And I've heard so many people say the same. However, it seems as if I am stuck. 
I've sat for the RHIT exam twice since graduating in 2008 and failed by a few points. This year, I will give it another try. Good for you. With a much different study approach. Thank you for the helpful informational episode on exam preparation and test taking tips. I was about to refer to you to that episode. Anyways, you mentioned in your interview with Jeff White that your wife has her bachelor's in HIM and is an ER nurse who is interested in the EHR. By the way, I asked her to be on the podcast. She said no. I also have an interest in working within the EHR field. Upon completion of my recent EPIC implementation, as a trainee, there's a need for experienced coders to teach certain modules. So her question is in this email, how can I brand myself using my education and skills as mentioned in your interview with Noelle Dale Brown? Noelle, if you're listening, she says your passion, your drive for personal professional and leadership development was so exhilarating to me as a discouraged HIM professional. I would love to hear more from her in the near future. Yes, we are planning to work on that for sure. Looking to hearing from you soon, Tracy. So Tracy, to to get directly to your question, and thank you for your email, to brand yourself, you said in your email, how can I brand myself using my education and skills? So I, if you refer to Terry Fletcher's episode, her main component of that episode was talking about your core. So if you focus on your core, which means focus on what you know and what you can do best, then you should promote it. Now, let's bring it over to this podcast side. This is the reason why when I created the podcast, it was a way to brand myself, to create content and to share it. But there are are individuals who like to share information, but make others pay for it. That's great as a business model, but I think you're trying to brand yourself the best way of branding yourself to open doors for yourself is to share content for free. So to share content for free, well, you have many platforms. You have many opportunities to do that. You can go on Facebook. You can definitely go on LinkedIn. That's probably your number one priority, number one place to start. So if you noticed in Sonal Patel's episode, we talked about LinkedIn just a little bit. So you can take some information from there. You can create a blog. You can create a podcast. In other words, you want to create a portfolio of what you know what your skills are, what your expertise is in, and promote it. Somewhere down the line, someone will notice. And when they notice, they'll share that information with somebody else who can relate to your content. I think that's the key. If you keep it real, people will relate. And when people relate, they like you. When they like you, they like what you're all about. And because of that, you that circle right there turns into some form of branding. So as you've can so as you've seen or observed in the past at least three years of this podcast, uh, it turned for me from medical coding geek, Facebook groups, podcast, now speaking, and now I'm looking into producing podcasts. So it's it's 
branding does a lot for you. So hopefully that helps you out. And thank you for sending that email. Again, for anybody that wants to reach out to me or if they have any questions that they want me to answer on this podcast episode, you could check me out on LinkedIn, Facebook. You could check out Medical Coding Geek and Not Also Classified on Facebook and Instagram. Just message those platforms, reach out to me, and I'll definitely get back to you in the next episode.